Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy. We are taping here at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles in West Hollywood, and the podcast itself is a presentation of the Pop Sequentialism Traveling Art Show and Catalog, and also La Luz de Jesus Gallery, Wacko the Soap Plant Superstore, and Gallery 30 South in Pasadena. And I'm going to talk a little bit today about some of the stuff that we've been doing over at Gallery 30, and that I think listeners of this program will be interested in for uh, various reasons and um, it's not gonna be a very long episode but I hope that uh, it will supply you with all the information that you need to feel wonderful this weekend Uh, as I record this today and I believe this is going to go up today as well um, in the on the 25th of of, uh, June we um, are showing an exhibition right now with Lindsay Way who's been a guest on this program Uh, Lindsay of course is the bass player for mindless self-indulgence is also a fine artist who is a multidisciplinarian. Uh, first became familiar to most people in the pop surrealist world for doing these beautiful cut paper dioramas. And uh, about two years ago, I did a show with her at La Luz de Jesus where she had taken pages from her high school journal and painted on top of them, turned them into um, sort of nostal- instantly nostalgic uh, pop art pieces and we kept the price friendly for a lot of her fans who were younger and this time around she did some really high level fine painting and a lot of it influenced by some people that will be very familiar to comic book fans people like Mobius who uh, his color palette and a little bit of the French sci-fi esotericism from the film work that he was doing with Jodorowsky and later the comics that uh, found their way into what she was working on and we did some prints, and they all sold out, and sold out most of her paintings. And while we were putting the show together, the idea of doing a joint exhibition with Francis Bean Cobain popped up. And I had also shown Francis before. I gave her her first, and at this at this point, her only art exhibition, feature exhibition, in 2010 when she was 17 years old and was actually an employee of of the gallery and saw her work in a notebook and I loved it and asked her if she wanted me to pop her into an August group exhibition. She was excited about it, but uh, decided to go with a pseudonym and went with the name Fiddle Tim. And long story short, the night of the exhibition, a journalist discovered her identity and sort of outed her before she got to the show. And so the the reason for setting up a pseudonym a pseudonym was taken away from her and, and she was unable to kind of roll with this uh, narrativeless approach to her body of work. But ironically, and uh, this is sort of prescient too as we record here, uh, Matt Gleason, who was also a writer for the Huffington Post, wrote an amazing article on and review really of her show really praising the the work and where it came from and didn't try and get too much into the psychological headspace of a person that he hadn't met and so he really judged it only on on the surface of what it was and he very much enjoyed the show and bear in mind that Mac Leeson who's the editor and publisher of Coagula Art Journal was somebody who made a career uh, tearing people apart in the in the press he was uh, very much one of those journalists that would you know, not suffer a fool lightly and definitely slaughtered quite a few sacred cows. So his article praising the work was was a really important thing to happen at the moment that it happened. It also really helped launch his his platform on the Huffington Post because not too much had been written up until that point about Francis. After I leave the studio here, I'm actually going to Matt's 
gallery in Chinatown to tape an episode of his program, Modern Art Blitz, which is live streamed and I believe also runs on KCET here in Los Angeles. So uh, if any of you want to put a face to the voice, you can tune into Modern Art Blitz as well and uh, check out that episode, which will be archived online as well. So when exhibiting an artist who is known for other things, there's a lot of challenges as a curator. Number one, we tend to get approached by not the art press, but other press. And as had happened when I first showed Francis's work seven years ago, it should be seven years ago this August, uh, we were contacted by People Magazine and Us Weekly and all the British tabloids and a lot of music magazines. And, you know, they all wanted, you know, to interview her. And we knew pretty much right off the bat that they weren't going to be talking to her too much about the art, that they, they wanted to use it as a venue to, you know, discuss her family life and things like that. And that was not something that she was interested in doing then. And I'm sure it's not something that she's interested in doing now. And I felt very strongly when we were putting this exhibition together for her in the first grouping of work under her real name, that it was very important to allow her to take the narrative. And I felt that the best way to do that is either she could make herself super available and, and you know, run a sort of press junket day of, of talking to journalists, or she could let the work speak for itself. And the latter ended up being the case. And I'm glad it was the case. When we opened the show, and at Gallery 30 South, we generally get the, the works up in the walls in the first two days of the month, and it will be up the entire month. So if it's a show that opens, um, we do our opening receptions on Sundays. So we push that to the middle of the month. So people could go in and see the work. And if journalists wanted to write a story, they could make an appointment if it wasn't during our regular business hours, which are uh, Wednesday through Friday, 11 to 3, and Saturday and Sunday, noon to 6. And they could come in and see the work and they could they could write a review. And not too many people took us up on that and instead wanted to cover only the opening reception when the two artists would be there. And we limited access. We did not allow press that day. We wanted it to be all about the art and the fans and the people who were really appreciating the work. And we created a ticketing system where people who bought prints or artwork from the show got priority. We did a series of, we did three different prints and in addition to 50 for Lindsay Way. We opted not to make available any prints of Francis' work at that time. And, you know, maybe that will change, but we've decided to keep it pretty simple. And we gave those people priority and were able to accommodate, I think, everybody that showed up. Some people had to wait for a while, but we made sure everybody got in and they, they got their time in the exhibition and the artists were there for most of the reception and, you know, nothing got too weird, which was great. And Francis's pieces sold out on that reception. We had sold one or two of Lindsay's pieces before the reception. We sold a couple more, sold another one afterwards. And as I sit here recording, there are three paintings available, large format pieces, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Grand Antenna, which um, was one of the pieces that really helped kick off the, the Mobius connection to the show. And uh, it's twin piece of the moon, my daughter's teacher, which uses the exact opposite color palette, and then a very autobiographical and alchemical piece called The Tiger, the Witch, and the Way, which, um, in, into which she painted depictions of herself, her husband Gerard Way, um, who many of you will know as the writer of Umbrella Academy and the um, man behind the incredible young animal line at DC and Doom Patrol, and as the singer of My Chemical Romance, and uh, images of her uh, her her just life, you know, elements that are personal to her, things that aren't necessarily overly explained. And it's a very large format, beautiful painting. 
I was contacted by a couple of my major collectors in the Midwest who have museum collections, uh, one of them making it a point to say that he felt that this was very important work. And, and so the show will end on Friday, uh, which is the 30th, and that show will come down that night, and we'll pop up the next exhibition the next morning before we open, and that's going to be the Sean Burke Mythos and Logos show. And that exhibition is fine painting a la Rembrandt. Uh, Sean studied with Odd Nerdrum, and there's a centerpiece in that show, this gigantic eight-foot by six-foot piece that uses Nordic folklore to address contemporary issues, uh, including jihadism. And bear in mind that this is an exhibition that has been being worked at for probably a year. You know, when you have a body of work, and especially you have a gigantic eight-by-six-foot painting, and your painting is detailed as Sean Burke paints, then you don't get a chance to be very topical. You don't really work around what's in the media because it's going to change. And, of course, what happened in the past month is comedian Kathy Griffith was uh, made a very bad visual joke uh, using a, a decapitated head and one that was in the likeness of the president. And, of course, it's illegal to threaten the life of, of a sitting president. And it caused a bit of a stir. It was seen as incredibly bad taste. She apologized for it. Uh, in one way, I think it was successful if she was trying to generate press because to be quite honest, when was the last time you really thought about Kathy Griffith? And now here we are talking about her again. But um, this gigantic piece does have severed heads. It does work around uh, Nordic myths and the Eddas of the Icelanders. And so you can't plan on these things happening. So I, we issued a trigger warning on the site, letting people know that uh, there is disturbing imagery. It is quite large format. And when you're looking at artwork that's that large and our space is not very large so it really does overwhelm when um when you stand in front of it that it does give you a certain sense of scope that you might not otherwise get just looking at it online and we'll be doing an opening reception for that exhibition on um on july 9th which will be a sunday so you can get in touch with us at info at gallery 30 south and that's gallery g-a-l-l-e-r-y the numbers three and zero and south s-o-u-t-h dot com um you know tell them tell them i sent you i'll be sending you to me and some of the other stuff we've got coming up that i think people may find exciting later on this year we have we had planned in september to do a carlos grasso show carlos grasso was the art director at uh, Libra Films, so he designed the Eraserhead movie poster, the iconic Eraserhead movie poster, in addition to just about every single album and many of the videos that were shot for all the IRS recording artists in the late 70s and early 80s. And he was also somebody I worked with at Liberation Entertainment uh, right before I was phasing myself out of the entertainment business. And uh, a really brilliant guy, someone that I think people will be fascinated to see how many different media he works in and does so quite well. He's also a musician, does some experimental musical films. And we've pushed that to next year to accommodate this amazing festival that he's working on in New Orleans with David Lovering from the Pixies and uh, quite a few other very talented collaborators. So we've got a few other things in the works that will be taking that pl taking the place of that exhibition. But in December... In time for the next Star Wars film, we're doing a show of these very unusual paintings. And I was contacted by an artist from Italy, and he comes from a long line of 
Italian nobility. Uh, I would speculate that he has ties to the Habsburg family or something like that. And I think that he may even have a title. He may be a duke. But he found some decaying paintings in a vault in one of the familial homes. And these are, you know, these homes are hundreds and hundreds of years old, if not over a thousand years old in some cases. And, you know, castles basically. And it's not unusual to, find, to have catacombs beneath uh, such spaces. And inside a, a crypt or a tomb or just an odd space, they've found a cachet of paintings from the 17th century, so in the, in the Rococo era. And the paintings are quite good, but they're not attributed to any particular master. It seems like it was maybe somebody in his family had been taking painting instruction, and these would have been what you might have thought of as master studies before there was an opportunity to go in and necessarily look at these masterworks in person and paint. So working in themes that were popular at the time, mainly biblical themes, um, images of local nobility. And because the pieces were falling apart, there is little value to them by way of the art market, that if something is in very poor condition, it's difficult without doing a lot of restoration to and for that the cost of that restoration to make it worthwhile for what you can sell a painting for when it's attributed to an unknown artist and so he saw this as a golden opportunity to do something new and these paintings have other paintings on top of them so he took the damaged pieces he um, stretched them out and did some restoration on on new linen and then painted on top of them in the same style. So you've got these religious Rococo paintings that also now feature Rococo-esque renderings of Darth Vader, R2-D2, and other important elements of the Star Wars universe. And it's dangerous in approaching a show like this because on the one hand, it could be viewed as the desecration of an art object and one from antiquity but i think that i think personally and in my approach and seeing the work is that the work is of such a high level that it it sort of takes that recycle aesthetic that a lot of the street artists have been using and takes it to a different level and a new conversation that because they're unattributed because they were so damaged anyways that by repairing them in a way that allowed the implementation of new ideas that it creates a whole new type of art form it's almost a new mashup style and especially taking something that's that old and painting in a, a very classic style and, and a lot of classic painting had gone out of fashion for quite a while it seems like figurative painting has come back quite a bit it's going to be interesting to see how people respond to them and there there are some large format pieces and I, I don't know if we're going to get, you know, dragged over the coals by the art press, if we're going to be decried as desecrators and or enemies of, of antiquity. But um, I feel it's really strong work. And I think that people, especially this program, are really going to appreciate it. So um, if you want to get on the invite list for that, which will be much later this year in December, as I said, uh, go ahead and, and go on to the gallery30south.com website and subscribe to our newsletter. 
I'm going to take a little break, uh, hear a word from one of our sponsors. I will remind anybody who wants to reach this amazing demographic that you can contact me at uh, any of my social media at PodSec, P-O-D-S-E-Q, for the Pod Sequentialism podcast. Uh, you can also, that's Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook, it's Pod Sequentialism. You can send an email to info at popsequentialism.com. I monitor that email box quite frequently. You can also send an email to me at info at Gallery 30 South, and I will be happy to discuss um, podcast advertisement rates. Be right back in just a moment. Hello, and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy. Um, wanted to clarify Kathy Griffin, not Kathy Griffith, so I apologize. Um, it's It wasn't a speech impediment, and uh, it's not my accent. I was just not pulling the right word out. But um, as we talk a little bit more about events in the art world and the challenges of, of working with people that are known for other things, I wanted to get back to the current exhibition, which you can see online and you can come in and visit us. We're open today. We'll be open uh, Wednesday through Friday, and then that show will come down on Friday night. So there is an opportunity if you are in the Los Angeles area to come in and see it in person. If not, go to the website. You can expand and look at the images and get a sense of, of what the work is like. And again, one of the challenges when working with somebody very well-known is fielding the type of contact that you get from publications that don't normally cover the arts. And my role as a curator and as a a gallerist is first and foremost to host a proper presentation for the work and to make sure that that presentation is in step, in line, and in, in mindfulness of what the artist wants in that presentation. And so sometimes it's difficult to have to say no to certain press because as a, as a gallery and especially a fledgling gallery, you want to be able to get as much publicity as possible. And, you know, there's, there's an idea in certain circles that, you know, any publicity is good publicity. I tend to disagree with that actually, but that first and foremost, I really need to be mindful of what the exhibition is to the artists. And what can be challenging, especially when you've got two artists who are known for other things, is the unaccessibility of um, of Francis Bean Cobain to most of the public means that that's what gets covered. And so it's been a challenge this month to really get Lindsay, Lindsay Way's name out there into the conversation about this. And, and most articles have, have named both artists, and I've... Um, been supplying images of both so that both get run in in the online content, but it really underscores how incredibly talented Lindsay Way is. That her paintings are of such a level of technique and composition and just originality that I think in a couple of months, when the show is off the walls and people have had a chance to digest, you know, the immediate. Um, public interest story of the second exhibition by Francis Bean Cobain and the first under her name. And I love that work and it's incredible work. The, the conversation will then come back around to what an amazing presentation Lindsay has put on. And Lindsay is somebody that I will continue to work with. We're planning on, on publishing a book. I think the first book that will bear the gallery 30 South um, imprint will be a Lindsay way book. And uh, she's just a real pleasure to deal with. And I think that a lot of times when we think of people that have a certain amount of celebrity in a certain field, we associate a, a 
a preconceived notion about what they must be like. And I can say for an absolute fact that Lindsay is incredibly down to earth. She's incredibly close with her fans, uh, very accommodating, as is Gerard, actually. And, um, you know, we, we really wanted to make that that opening reception all about just the artists, but everybody who was there, and she has a lot of friends who are also well-known in the um, in the music world, they were just very kind with the fans and just really, really down-to-earth people. And, you know, whether we're talking about Kat Von D, who came by and bought a piece and looked fantastic, I must say, and or Grimes or uh, Chantel Claret, you know, these are people that are, are just really, really open to the fandom and just thankful that they have people who really appreciate what they do and and act accordingly and i constantly hear horror stories from other people about other celebrities that are not as as connected to their fan base or possibly not appreciative or maybe just a lot more um private and i understand that and it's always good to be able to respect somebody's privacy and i think that the media can get a little uh how shall we say, uppity, and that can drive the best of us crazy and anybody can have a bad day. And I think it's really important to remember that too, that if you do have an interaction with somebody that you consider to be, you know, you know, what's, what's the expression, never meet your idols, that um, you can always catch somebody in a bad day. You don't know what happened 10 minutes before you walked into the frame and you have no idea how they feel 10 minutes after you walk out of frame. So if you bear in mind your interactions with people in that context, it may it may bode better for how you feel about those interactions later. And sometimes you can meet somebody and have just this incredible, amazing moment. And sometimes you may catch somebody at the wrong time and you may meet them again down the line and they may be awesome. So, um, you know, try not to, to judge anybody harder than you would be judged yourself if you had just walked out of an argument with your, your boyfriend or girlfriend and uh, were stopped on the street by somebody about something that you had absolutely no idea what they were talking about at the time. <laughs> So um, aside from that, I also want to um, you know welcome everybody to check out a couple of the new shows that are going to be on the um, the Meltdown Network, and you can find out about those by visiting the Meltdown or Melt Comics site and uh, check out the podcast page. And there's quite a few exciting shows that are coming up. We've got uh, Casey Coop is going to be doing a show on the network, which is going to be a very sort of um, what would you call it? I guess. Uh, raunchy yeah that's the good word a raunchy podcast so uh you know if you're up for that then i i I absolutely endorse it and uh, we've also got uh, a new show that's going to be the history of superman that's going to be run by a pretty prominent dc artist eric escabel and uh, i'm going to probably have him on the show and talk about a lot of other things because he's he's worked on a lot of titles and he's he's a fan like the rest of us you know it's great that he too has found a an industry that supports the thing that he loves and it's able to support him back. And that's rare too. You know, we talk about this a lot in the show and I, um, I encourage people if they can to get in contact with, um, with the hero initiative, because there's a lot of people that did artwork or writing and worked in the comics industry and, and did not have insurance. And they require a lot of care now that they're older people and they don't always have people in their lives to be able to help out. And if you want to pay back in a, a really rewarding way, then um, get in touch with the Hero Initiative and find out if there's anybody in your area that you can help out and talk to and and help them run errands and help them pick up medication and, you know, help bring them to the grocery store, you know, re- really basic stuff. Because for a very long time, and even still today, you know, these are not unionized gigs. There's not a safety net for a lot of these people. You know, when the work goes away, their livelihood goes away. 
And so you, more than ever, you find a lot of people that are creating new titles are simultaneously working on TV shows, uh, trying to pitch movies, uh, working in video games and development, um, doing you know other types of commercial art. You know whether it's the people we've had on the show, people that work in movie posters, people that work in you know at trailer houses, that um, it, they're forced to, to have multiple hats and, and multiple jobs. And a lot of people are. You know this is um, the state of the economy in this country right now isn't the best it's ever been. That's for sure. And you know, there's a lot of people that are feeling the hurt and feeling the crunch, and and I think it's it's there's a lot of people that have multiple jobs, but I think that we have this idea that the people that we look up to in the arts, whether it's musicians or or painters or pencilers or writers, we have this idea that because we view them as being very successful, that they are very financially set, and a lot of times they're not. A lot of the bands that you may have really loved in the 80s and 90s and you may be really thrilled when they come back into town and you may even be a little bit happier that now they're playing smaller venues and you get a little bit more of an intimate experience with them a lot of times uh, those gigs don't generate any money at all Uh, that those are just opportunities for them to be able to sell merchandise where they can actually make some money you know that they're the CDs aren't aren't paying the bills these are guys that when they're not on tour are working you know as at Home Depot you know, and and some of these people may maybe have, you know, maybe not quite blue collar jobs, but they've got other jobs, and they have to kind of curtail their touring schedule around their employment that pays the bills. And it's important to understand that when you dedicate your life to to art and whatever that discipline may be, that there's a lot of sacrifices that don't go with uh, that that picture of glamour that I think a lot of people have. Um, you know, a good friend of mine that uh, I actually moved to California with is in a an 80s cover band back in Massachusetts. And he's really lucky that there's enough gig and enough work uh, for a, a, a talented touring band in just in his area that he can make money on it and it, it's it's a very lucrative profession but he still has another job and he's also got family requirements you know that require that he be around and very few people actually have that kind of luck and opportunity and you know he's one of the most talented musicians I've ever known in my life and give a shout out to Todd Harvey right now and I think anybody that knows him and, and that grew up with me and, and that knows other musicians would say that he's the best bass player that they've ever met in their lives um, you know maybe accepting people like Getty Lee but um, it's it's incredible that there is opportunity in different markets to be able to succeed at your dream and it's not about necessarily having fame but about having a career and it can be very enriching and I know that he loves still playing music he's still incredibly good at it Um, I'm bummed that it's most of these gigs are are on the east coast and I don't really get a chance to see him play and um, when I was just back for um, you know for my mom's funeral and I got a chance to spend some time with him I was I was a little upset too that it, he didn't have a gig falling in the times that I was there so I could go and check him out but um you know there's just a really it's considerate precious if you can do what you actually love for a living and pay the bills usually it's a choice between the two and um I guess that's what I'm I'm trying to say here so um don't lose hope don't lose faith 
keep at it if it makes you happy keep doing it and uh if it if it's something that you're particularly good at other people are going to give you that feedback and that may be the sustenance that you need that may be as valuable to you as payment and it is a type of payment for sure but um explore every opportunity that allows you to continue in a fashion that is enriching to your soul and i don't mean so in a in a religious way but in that that core of your being that that keeps you going and clearly whether it's lindsey way who's a musician who's also a painter who's a mom who's a wife uh or um you know francis bean cobain who um is a, a ostensibly a very private person but is also very involved in in creating artwork and trying to do so on our own terms that there's this kind of war of expectation and there's also this uh, challenge of you know having an opportunity to to enrich oneself while doing multiple things so check them out check them out online you can go back and check out the the Lindsay way podcast that we did um last well, i guess it was more than a year ago i think it was in the first 12 episodes of the program but uh, go back and check that out it's a fascinating interview and by the time the next couple of episodes air we'll be catching up on some things that we we had talked about in previous episodes it sounds cryptic that means you have to tune in and um we'll uh we'll discuss some more stuff so send us an email let us know what you want to talk about and uh, we will do so matt kennedy out Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism. And um, what many, many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole, it's not. Um, you can, if you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your Christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine. They've got everything, and I highly recommend that you visit them. You can visit them online at soapplant.com. You can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com, and that's spelled L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S.com. Check them out and tell them Matt Kennedy sent you.